I'm Kimberly C. Paul. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. So literally, the last time we spoke, it has been two years. I was sitting in my house in Wilmington, North Carolina. You were getting ready to go on this crazy, crazy adventure, discovering death festivals throughout Europe. But also, you you happen to come, and I love when you, you say, you know, uh, we have 50 countries over here in America, because after traveling them, I totally, totally agree with you, because everything is different based on when you cross a state line. Um, so talk to me. How was it? How many countries and how many death festivals did you attend through this journey? Um, did you get it get it done before COVID hit? And tell me what's going on. I, well, I did. I, I visited um, seven death festivals in, um, uh, well, seven different countries. So there was uh, Mexico, Nepal, Sicily, Thailand, which where I, I actually celebrated Chinese Death Festival with my um, my Thai Chinese stepmother, and then after that was um, uh, Japan, Madagascar, and Indonesia. And uh, I also at one point I was in the states just to do a little bit of sort of supplemental research. I actually went and I um, I interviewed some uh, anti death transhumanists in San Francisco. And then I flew straight from there to New Orleans, where uh, I wanted to talk to people who believed in ghosts and, you know, life after that <laughs> now. That was really like the idea that that was the same country was just bonkers to me. because Oh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, try, try going, driving through 45 because yeah. the, the, the way people think in each state is so different and you're like sure. you're right it's almost like another country the laws are different the driving laws yeah. are different I mean, it's this crazy isn't, that's not too crazy for me because i i'm from europe you know i can i can just get on a train this afternoon and i can be in france in a couple of hours and you know it's exactly the same situation except we don't have this mentality that it's all one country we completely expect France to be completely different from Romania but um I don't know in the states you think it's one country and it kind of isn't you know no well we think um one country uh that everyone needs to adapt to us even in France and England <laughs> so I mean we do come with a little bit of arrogance um and I I'm, and, and believe me living in the world especially America during these times of of the administration and COVID, it, it really, it, racism that is still, um, we're still dealing with, uh, it, it just is, uh, yeah, it makes it realistic that we are fi almost 50 countries. Yeah. Um, and it's just insane. Talk to me about what was your favorite place to visit? Oh my goodness. Uh, it, it, I mean, how to choose. I mean, I suppose in terms of, um, you know, the most striking places, the, mo the places that were sort of the most different from my experience, I guess I'd have to say Madagascar and uh, Tana Taraja in Indonesia, only because those are the two death festivals where corpses were actually invited to the party. Um, so in, um, really? yeah, in Madagascar, they actually, every five to seven years, they actually all go to the family tomb. 
Um, by all, I mean sort of a, a family of thousands of people. Um, all go to this family tomb. They exhume their dead relatives. They wrap them in a new shroud, dance around with them on their shoulders. Everyone gets drunk. I got hit in the head by a corpse, at which point I thought... <laughs> Yeah, of course I did. Of course I got hit in the head by a corpse. Why? Why wouldn't I? Um, it's just, and um, you know, that did that was, freak you out? No. Or did it, you? No. Yeah. It, I mean, it was just. It was obvious. Like if you, if I, I, I shared a video of this. Like once you, it was sort of, um, you know, I felt this knock in the back of my head, and it sort of only dawned on me afterwards how bizarre my life had become. Like I just thought <laughs> a few years ago, I was sitting at my kitchen table. I ha I'd had agoraphobia because I'd lost somebody. You know, I found my father-in-law after a week. You know, it was very traumatic. Right. I'd completely failed to buy a sandwich at the shop because I'd had a panic attack and run home. And I sat there researching death festivals. And, you know, it was hard for me to even leave the house. Now I'm in Madagascar and I just got hit in the head by a corpse. And it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh, I, wonder wow. if, I was like, I wonder if I got kicked or headbutted. I won't ask. And you know, so it, was just, <laughs> it was just, it was, it was just crazy. And um, you know, I, I posted videos of just I was standing in this crowd, just spinning around with my phone, filming these people who had their ancestors on their shoulders, and they're jumping up and down and dancing, and everyone's drunk and everyone's having a great time. And I just thought, this is really quite different to how I grew up, you know, with, with death. <laughs> and, um, you know, similarly in Tanataraja in Indonesia, if anything, it was even more stark because it's a similar thing. Every year they take their dead relatives out from, you know, from the tombs. And, but they, they aren't wrapped in anything. In fact, you can actually see their dead faces and they actually give them brand new clothes, brand new, you know, handbags and stuff. They FaceTime their relatives. I mean, I saw people running up, sort of sticking a phone right in the face of this dead woman. And I could see the little woman on the screen going like, oh, my God, hi. You know, she was so happy to see her again. And, you know, one of the strangest things about that experience, apart from the fact that I was surrounded by corpses that people were talking to, <laughs> um, was it was it was normal within moments. Like, it, you know, oh, it was wow. almost, almost anticlimactic how normal it was after like 10 minutes. Because... It, it's you know you grow up with this idea that you know death is talked about in hushed tones and certainly you know and we've re we've managed to remove the corpse from the entire you know I never saw my 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 father-in-law dead you know he was removed by professional body removers he was handed back to us as ash in a in a stapled bag you know it's right. it's completely ordinary here that you would never see a dead body and I remember telling I was in Bali, actually, and I was, uh, you know, I went to the Trinian Cemetery where the, the bodies rot in the open air. And um, my guide was sort of translating what I was saying. I was saying, you know, how many dead bodies have you seen? And they just said, well, hundreds. Like I'd asked, how many sheep have you seen in your life? They were like, what? And so, <laughs> <laughs> so there was that. And then I said, you know, outside of a tourist context, I've actually never seen. I was like, I've seen hundreds too, but only in a tourist context, only in things like this. And he started translating, then he stopped and said, wait, what? And I said, uh, wow. outside of a tourist context, I've never seen a dead body. And they were just like, hold up, never. And it, it was, they weren't just shocked. There was this, I, I, there was something in their reaction that I couldn't quite detect. I couldn't work it out. And as I walked away, I thought, oh my gosh, they pity me. They mm. are literally pitying me right now because they think, wow, this poor girl has not done something really kind of 
shelter yeah and like maybe maybe embarrassing was like walking around just going right. like, I've never done laundry you know I didn't know right, right, I, right. <laughs> I could detect that they thought there was something like weird about this um so Aww. yeah so I think those were the most just in terms of the the just how unbelievably stark it was compared to my experience because you know places like Mexico and Japan there's the belief that you know the spirits are coming back to visit this year and that was different enough when I started out because it's like oh wow you believe they've they've come back oh you're talking about them without sadness without awkwardness you know but by the time I got to Madagascar and Tana Taraja they were just like this is my grandma she's been dead for four <laughs> years and you know I have to say hi and you know <laughs> I was like visiting some corpses and visiting is the word and corpses is not in fact in fact that's rude of me to say so essentially when someone dies in Tana Taraja um, they are not dead until they've had their funeral and their funeral could be weeks away. It could be months away. It could be years away because they are huge festival like events that last for days. And so, um, wow. until that moment, they're not dead, they're ill. And, you know, they have to bring the meals every day and talk to them. And so I'm there and I'm sort of like, how long has this person been dead? And sort of like, it's, it's really delicate. He was just like, okay, I think she, she's not dead. She's resting sorry you know it was sort of awkward and <laughs> as we left I had to be but like she was dead in in our terms absolutely you know because you know, <laughs> right. you know, I mean the debate that rages on here is when are you dead is it when your heart stops or is it when brain activity ceases that debate has been raging for as long as we could measure brain activity there that wow. debate holds much less interest because you're not dead at all <laughs> until you know until your funeral so you know I had to I was in this strange situation of having to not only be in a room with three corpses because they hadn't had their funeral yet. But as we left, I had to be like, thank you for having me, you know? And <gasps> it's, it was just, yeah. So that was very, um, and that was sort of, um, you know, it was very different and it was very fascinating. And I think one of the starkest things about that is when you understand what goes into this, which is the, the, the main difference between the way you and I grew up and the way they did is that we grow up being told that essentially when you die, you lose all your power you essentially don't matter anymore. Your projects are over, your power is gone. And, you know, this is why we don't speak ill of the dead because you don't kick a man when he's six feet down, you know? Um, right. And right. there, they believe that when you die, the same in Madagascar, when you die, you become a demigod. So essentially you gain power by dying. So, you know, if, I'm, if I live in Tana Taraja, if I want to pray for protection or health or good exam results, I'm not praying to God, I'm praying to my ancestors. And they're, gonna, they're my intermediary between me and God. Oh, so once, wow. you know, so I noticed this in these places where death is associated with an increase in your power, suddenly you're invited to the party. The actual corpse is invited to the party because, you know, it's, it's an honor to be around them. Um, so yes, that was probably the most, um, that was probably the most. I bet you're fun different. to have around a dinner table in London. <laughs> Depends <laughs> who you ask. Because my because you can parents, either stop the conversation or people can be like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I have to be super careful because you know you do you do build yourself an echo chamber quite quickly where you know you're around all these dead positive people and then suddenly I'm sort of saying, "So I met this corpse," and my mom is like, "Erica, it's Christmas dinner. What are you doing?" And I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot who I was talking to. My medic parents, you know, who think that you know, who had literally said to me once, like, death is a failure in our industry. And it's just, oh, Oh, yeah. my gosh. This sounds like a great, great comedy situation. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because 
And I always find humor in the most absurd situations. And I think my family has taught me that. It's like, if you if you don't know what to do, even in the oddest of situations, just laugh about it. And they'll tell you if you're right or wrong. But seriously, yeah. it, it is so crazy. But you're doing this for a reason. So you used to write for The Guardian. Uh-huh. Um, I still and- do on occasion. Mm-hmm. Oh, yay. Yeah, wow. yeah I'm a freelancer, so, you know, oh, good, good. We're yeah, I love happy it. Happy to have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And But you're, you've decided through your travels to collectively write about your experiences. Did Do you find as you were writing that there was a lot of humor? Oh, yeah. And in, in, instead, of, so, because in America, it's so taboo. Oh, same, same Isn't here, it? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, helps the humor, if anything, because, you know, a lot of time humor comes from a break in the tension. So actually, it's a complete gift to be talking about a taboo subject because, of course, you know, everyone feels tense and then it's super easy to, I mean, honestly, the amount we laughed the day we found the corpse of my father-in-law was probably indecent, but it's just, you know, there was so much, I mean, I'm sorry, but would you not burst out laughing if the undertakers came to collect an eight-day-old corpse. I mean, can you imagine? It, he was bloated and green. It was so horrifying. And then the door slammed shot, shut and the handle fell out and they were trapped in the room. And they had to come <laughs> and ask us. The police came and they sort of very politely were sort of saying like, yeah, they, they, you know, the handles come off. And we're like, oh, that's okay. Don't worry. It breaks. And he's going, no, I, okay. You, we need your permission to break down the door. And so sort of, because they're in it. <laughs> yes. And it took a long time because we were in shock, you know, and suddenly and then right. my my fiance at the time, he went, Oh, that's really funny. And then we burst out <laughs> laughing. Which which means that the undertakers who were trapped with an eight-day-old corpse, all they would have heard is footsteps down the stairs, voices, and then laughter, which makes it's like and that's like laughing in church. It makes you feel terrible for laughing, which is all the funnier. It is very easy to get comedy out of a taboo subject because everyone is tense. The second you bring it up, there's tension. And tension is one of the biggest and best gifts that you can give mm. to a comedian of any kind. So um yeah, Oh totally. I um, totally agree with that. So have so have you finished the book? It's finished, yes. It is currently um, I've just been sent the um, the typeset proofs of the book, so I even I can see how it looks on the page. And um, there, it, it, is it, that bizarre to you? Yes, I mean to be honest, a lot of what's bizarre now is that I'm reading about myself in crowds, which in the context of COVID is really strange. But um, it, I mean, they've done an amazing job. My publisher, they um, they sourced a bunch of cartoons by um, Jose Guadalupe Posada, who is the first guy who did who drew. Um, skulls with you know partying and stuff and this is what led to la catrina and you know the sugar skull that is so ubiquitous and they, sure yeah, they yeah the one to... sitting behind you absolutely on this on this cushion yes I, I will never get another gift without a skull on it for the rest of my days <laughs> <laughs> i just live with this now it's fine um and you know they managed to source these cartoons and they found that there were 12 little cartoons and there are 12 chapters in my book so each chapter opens with one of these cartoons and in fact the cover of the book the the, the um the guy who designs the covers they sent it through and they said um you know it's it's two skeletons and it's by um jose guadalupe posada have you heard of him and i was like you mentioned in the book this is fantastic you know um, 
oh, so wow. I'm delighted with it. I'm very, they've done an amazing job. It's going to the printers in October and it'll be published in on uh, the 18th of February in 2021. Whoa, but Super you can pre-order the book now, right? You certainly can, yes. If you go to my publisher, it's called unbound.com. So if you just go there and type in This Party's Dead, it's there, you can pre-order it. And um, that's, I mean, they ship all over the world. I think my, my publisher is currently um, trying to get it into uh, um, uh, with a U.S. publisher. So it'll be, you know, on U.S. Amazon and everything. But for now, you can still just order it from the publisher. In fact, a, an astonishing percentage of my pre-orders have come from America. So clearly you guys are super into this stuff too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to be. We're yeah. trying to be. But you're helping. You're helping. Oh, good, so, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially... What's interesting is, you know, the perception of death and how it's so different, Um, even in the United States, even between religions, how people do so many things different. But, you know, a lot of people are scared of death. And were you ever scared or frightened after you learned something new about death? Honestly, it was the opposite, that situation. I I think this whole, generally, the more you find out, the less you fear um you know you demystify something this is actually how i think a lot of fear remains you know even if you look at something like um you know even something like racism you you have people who have all of this fear and hatred and if you talk to them um it's never more than a few seconds before they reveal that they know nothing about the people they hate um so and i found that to be very similar with this you know it's it's almost like death was this thing this this monster in the room and then I shined a flashlight on it and it was just a cute little muskrat. Okay, that's an exaggeration. It's still pretty scary. (laughs) But it was this thing that just sort of haunted me. And and so, no, the more I found out and the more I hung out with corpses and the more I spoke to people about, um, you know, their experiences with death and stuff, if anything, it actually diminished the fear a lot. Um, I guess that's what, you know, education of any kind does. So no, Mm. most of the fear, I mean, there's a lot of fear in my book, you know, the first couple of chapters, I'm in a terrible state. You know, I've just had the shock of finding the eight day old corpse of my father-in-law. And then I, I tumbled into a period of pajama clad agoraphobia where I'm sitting there stalking everyone I know thinking well anyone I'm not looking at might be dead guess it falls to me to check on everybody you know this is very (laughs) fear motivated and then you know when I tried to cure my agoraphobia by going out to buy a sandwich um you know I had a panic attack and threw it and that's when I came back and thought hmm death festivals other people celebrate death. I wonder what that's about. And that was like the beginning of the point where fear stopped being the motivator for everything I did. And instead, just I just became so uh, sort of thirsty for the knowledge of it. So, you know, I, there was like a two-year break where I didn't visit any death festivals. I just read and I interviewed people and I was just, you know, I was just so thirsty for more knowledge about it and how people, you know, go through their lives with death anxiety and how they deal with it. Because essentially everyone's afraid of death. You know, we are programmed to be, it's part of our evolution. Um, but basically some people are dealing with it well and others are dealing with it badly. And I spent these, these last five years going and talking to people who were dealing with it well. So it's are you been sad a very that it's occasion. over? Yes. I mean, I am, but I'm also, I, I'm just quite excited to share it with people hmm. uh, because it's, um, you know, when I talk about it, people's eyes sort of widen and, you know, uh, and 
they say things like, oh, I never thought of that. You know, so that's, I mean, I shared a video that I took at, um, at Manene in Tana Taraja. So this, this woman who'd been dead for four years, they, she was sort of leaning against this wall and her, her granddaughter was sitting next to her. And she was just, um, you know, looking at the view. And then she just looked at her grandmother and she saw some dust in her hair and she just brushed it out. And it was just, this tiny little gesture was so completely infused with love. And I was just watching this and going, I completely forgot about the love. That's why I'm here. That's that's what motivates this this whole thing, you know. And so, like, and I, it was with a lot of trepidation that I tweeted this video. I thought there would be a lot of people who would be shocked and disgusted. Um, it was completely the opposite. It was just an outpouring of people saying, this is so beautiful. I wish I could see my grandmother again. Uh, you know, I can't believe how gorgeous this is. So, yeah, I'm sad it's over. But at the same time, I'm just, I'm really excited to share it with people now. I'm sort of, I don't want to sit by myself with it anymore. I just want it, I'd, I'd like it to go out there and find and find its home. And uh, Oh, I'd, wow. I'd, do, have you changed? Do, do you feel like this, are you the, a different person from the beginning? Of course, in some aspects with your own death anxiety, but who are you now after all, all of this? <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I was, I was very adamant at the beginning that this is not eat, pray, love with corpses. You know, I wasn't doing this to like, <laughs> I really wanted people to understand, like, I'm not trying to like heal myself, but of course, <laughs> you know, of course I got healed along the way. You know, I didn't want it to be like the real death festival was the friends we made along the way, you know, but <laughs> of course that happened. I mean, who am I now? I mean, now I'm someone who says, shocking things, you know, in, in a different way. You know, I was um I was talking to this this family member of mine who was getting very she was being quite sort of judgmental about someone she knows, like, you know, he thinks he's physically fit and he's not, he's got a gut. And she was saying all of this awful stuff. And I sort of said, you know, it's not immoral to die. And I swear she almost crashed the car. She just never heard someone say such a thing. You know, so it's it's that sort of thing that's changed me. Like I've um I think I've realized that a lot of the the tacit messages that we've been given all our lives um, are just are just that they are just messages. They are just made up Um, this 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 idea that, you know, dying is always an aberration. Something's gone wrong. Like, what do you think? Some lawyer, some sneaky lawyer put it in the small print when you had that baby? No, the baby's going to die. And so are you, you know, like, let's. So I think um, it's definitely made me less. anxious in a way I mean you know finding out that you know I remember interviewing a doctor and finding out we die of three things we die of cancer heart disease and stroke in the privileged west you know and I just thought wow I was so health I had such health anxiety before and now I sort of go oh yeah that's that's what bodies do and uh you know I'm lucky enough to live in a place where they'll try to stop it so it's um yeah it's a strange it's a strange way that I've I've um, change, but it's essentially just you become a kaleidoscope of of you know perspectives rather than just whatever you were told as you were growing up, which is very fortunate because what I was told growing up was frightening, and mm-hmm. I'm happy that I don't have to feel that afraid anymore. Has it changed how you want people to celebrate you when you die? Has it really changed your whole philosophy of how you want to journey? And I mean, because no one's guaranteed tomorrow, and I get that, and we all want to be prepared. But has it changed 
you I mean, are you are you on the streets in London changing how funerals should be done there now? You know, it, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's happening already, you know, without me. Right. But, you know, it's nice to see that you've got people, um, you know, they're coming up with their own. There's people doing living funerals. There's people who are, you know, leaving instructions as to what they want to be done when they die, which um, which I think is great. I also think it's kind of an, just yet another way to try and feel like you have control over mm. what's going to happen. So, um, but in, if anything, I've sort of gone further the other way, which is that um, more and more, I feel like it's, it's really none of my business. <laughs> and what I wow. want is for people, um, you know, if I die, well, I will, but I mean, you know, if I die soon, what I, what I want is for people to do something that is going to make them feel better. I think one of the main takeaways from all these death festivals, the, the thing that I heard over and over and over in slightly different words is essentially that the point of them is to have a continuing relationship with the dead, which I at first thought wasn't possible for someone like me because, you know, I'm an, I'm an unenchanted atheist, you know, I thought, and right, right. And I missed the point for so long. I thought, you know, if you don't literally believe in it, you can't do it. And it took me a while to realize that what they're really talking about is that when someone dies, you've got this inconvenient balloon of love that goes nowhere. And it's just sitting there. You know, they say grief is love with nowhere to go. And I realized that this, this time and space that they're carving out every year it, and, you know, this this thing where the ritual is to think about that dead person, pour them a drink, make yourself useful in some way. And I was like, oh, this is a conduit for your love. This is you have something to do, someone to take care of, somewhere for your love to go. And that's the point. You know, instead, I spent years double taking on the street, thinking I'd see my father-in-law. And then it just oh, sat wow. there in this painful way. Um, whereas every single time I engage with the death festival, even a little bit, I felt that sort of ease because we're not really designed to understand death. You're not really, un you know, designed to understand that a person is gone, particularly not in a nation where it is normal for you to never see the dead person. So there's mm -hmm. not that sort of moment of, of, you know, closure at least that, you know, might help. Um, so for me, what I would want for my loved ones to do is to try to do something that would give them you know, that would give somewhere for their love to go with me. And they might feel a little bit silly doing it because it's very easy for us to feel silly over here because we're very sure. cynical people. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, that's the main thing that I want is, you know, I don't, I don't care if there were flowers on my coffin. I don't care if you scatter me while singing my favorite song. I don't care about any of that. It's really none of my business. Do what you need to do. I love that. <laughs> oh, that's That's an interesting... I, that is a really interesting point of view. And that's the first time I've heard that. Oh, because cool. you always hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because it, you always hear like, hey, what does that person think about me? And then you're like, well, it's none of my business because that's them. And, but I've never applied that same thought to the whole after death thing. It, yeah. it feels really it is none of my business. Yeah. I have a friend who insists she doesn't want a funeral. And she was talking about, I should do a will and say no funeral. And I said, that is, that is an act of violence you are doing against your family. It is none of your business what we do with your body or, or, or anything after that. You know, she, she's one of these people who says, oh, just throw me out with the trash. And I was like, right, that is, first of all, that's not legal uh, at all. <laughs> and it will look super suspicious. But, you know, and she was like, you know, I don't care what you do with my body. I was like, oh, good, because I was going to have you stuffed and put on my wall. She was like, no, so you do care. <laughs> 
you do care a bit then, you know, so <laughs> it's, I think people can, I, I, most of the time, the, I don't care if you throw me out with the trash people. Um, I don't believe them. Like when they say they don't care, I think what they're actually doing is they're trying to, the way they exert control over their mortal terror is I don't even care. You know, like those right. guys who get dumped. It's like, I don't like her anyway. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. Crying behind the scenes. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. So, you know, if yeah. you really don't care, then let them decide what they want to do. So I guess I really well, don't believe- care. Well, believe it or not, I'm, I was the kind of person before I went on my own journey with this tour of mine that I was like, no, I don't want a funeral. And then I came to the, to the conclusion that I was like, really, you people need to do what makes them feel good. If that helps you, then that's what you need to do. And you're right. I think putting restrictions, you're only allowing that love to still have nowhere to go. Exactly. Um, it's it's not, I, I think it's being insensitive to what people are dealing with when you're dead, because there's actually two things. One is they're dealing with the grief and the loss of you. But the second thing is they've just had a death reminder. They've just had a massive reminder of mortality in general and their own. And there's no getting around that. It's the same way as when people go to weddings that they get a bit sad. People start thinking about themselves. And so, you know, when we do this, when we sort of like big up the dead, I'm pretty convinced it's because we come from a culture where we think when you die, you lose all your power. So we have to big them up. This is why everyone who dies was apparently the life of the party and they lit up a room. Same thing every single time. I don't know where all the dead wallflowers are, but you know, we have to, we have to big them up as much as possible because we are absolutely terrified by the notion that this person has just disappeared. So the way we deny it is we take that person, we amplify their qualities to a ridiculous extent, mm. and then we minimize their flaws completely. Like you can't get up at a funeral and be like, Barry, he was, he was kind of quick to anger, wasn't he? Oh my <laughs> God. No one ever does right. that. He was passionate. He cared about what he believed in, you know, and it's, I mean, frankly, I wish people would do that for me now. I would love that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> you might have a chance to to change or or just be like bollocks about it. You know, it's like hey, whatever. <laughs> um, look, yeah. have you right? Um, what I think about death in my seventeen years with hospice is there were so many mysterious things that I encountered, and some of them I can't even explain today. Um, did you experience anything like that on your journeys? When you say mysterious, do you mean sort of like ghostly or something? Um, like unexplainable. Yeah, maybe. Maybe take it in that sense. Yeah, do ghostly. Um, <laughs> have you have you ran into a ghost on your travels? <laughs> no. I, I wouldn't discredit <laughs> myself by admitting it, but no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> We're a super cynical uh everything super cynical country super cynical i mean why are there so many ghosts in the states when it's like honestly my library is older than the states and yet the states has all these ghosts and we have like four um so it's 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 straight away i'm not really but that said it i i would never think of anything as mysterious because i would always come up with a with a rational explanation for it but really it was more um if I were a more spiritual person, I could probably have got a lot more spiritual interpretation out of certain things. So for example, um, the first death vessel I went to was in Mexico and I was still super bereaved. It was, you know, barely a year since, um, 
since we'd found Chris. It was it was like a year and a week or something. And um, so I was still pretty raw, actually. And um, particularly because I'd refused to grieve for the first six months. And um, I, you know, I'd helped build this altar. There was a little picture of him on there. And um, I just thought, okay, you know what? I need to, I need to try this. I need to engage. So it's coming up to midnight when the souls are supposed to visit. And so I just walk up to this altar and it's so awkward because I'm, I'm a British atheist and I'm talking to a picture. So it's already super awkward because I'm not particularly <laughs> spiritual. So, you know, I was like, Hey, what's up? You know, I just felt so stupid and <laughs> I just sort of went, okay. Um, I, uh, I just, I just wanted to say goodbye. And I kept thinking of how, you know, if this was a movie, there'd be a sign, you know, like his picture would flutter to my feet or I'd see him wink at me from inside the photo. But of course, none of that happens. So I just sort of go, bye <laughs> and walk away. <laughs> and it's super awkward. Right. And, um, but then literally the bells just, just, I could hear the bells waft in. And as soon as I did, um, I got a text from my husband and it was him saying, uh, I booked something for your birthday, keep the 25th free. And the first thing I do is I sit down and I put it in my calendar. Now I hadn't used calendars since Chris had died because I felt like, you know, every time I put something in my calendar, it might take the piss out of me later. You know, know, I itch up birthday dinner with Chris a week after he died. So I just stopped using Mm. calendars. And suddenly I, I talked to him for a second and suddenly I'm using calendars again. Now, if I were a more spiritual person, I would say that just that moment, his spirit helped heal me. His spirit told me it was okay to do that again. What I actually think happened is that I had this balloon of love and for a second I gave it somewhere to go. And I think that just released enough space in me that suddenly this basic thing that I'd stopped doing suddenly became possible again. I came up with a psychological explanation for it. A lot of the people I've met over the past few years would have come up with a much more spiritual reasoning. They would have said, you know what? Your father-in-law told you it was okay to do that. And, you know, either either interpretation is completely fine. But, um, you right. know. My book wouldn't I love be as funny if I was like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I love that we don't have to see it in the same way. Right. Right. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. Isn't yeah. it? Exactly. It's exactly. like we all journey and we have our viewpoint that really jades us if we're not open to looking at things differently. Yeah. Um, so I love, I love that a story. That's amazing. And how, how you, how you sort of, uh, did you realize that right in the time? Like, wait, what? I literally, I put it in my, I went, oh, okay, 25th. And I went, <gasps> I literally sort of gasped and jumped back. And I went, I, I just used Cal, because I mean, I had spent the last year with these haphazard lists. I had spent the last year going, oh my God, and running because I realized I'd forgotten to do something. You know, it was so disorganized. And, um, you know, part of me was thinking, oh, can I just set a reminder again? But I just couldn't do it because that, when it chirped birthday dinner with Chris at me, I was I felt so sad and so embarrassed and so angry. It was like hmm. um, I thought of that old um, that old saying: "If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans." 
And that's what I felt like, except I, I came up with an atheist version, which is don't put things in your calendar. It will only take the piss out of you later. You know, like right, I was, all, right, right, I was right, right. mad at it, you know, like, oh, I suppose you think that's funny, do you? <laughs> and I was sort of like, and, and really cutting off my nose to spite my face. It's like, well, no more calendars for me. So I spent that whole year just completely disorganized. So because that's my system is setting, you know, reminders and things. Sure. So, um, so, yeah, when I sat down and put that you know, just put it in my calendar without, without even thinking, you know, just, oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, kind of shook you. Oh, did that, that did something, but it never occurred to me that it was anything particularly, particularly as remember the guy that I'm talking to, you know, the dead guy I'm talking to, he was a doctor. He was a man of science. If he'd seen me walking and talking to his photo, he'd have made fun of me and talked about this superstitious <laughs> nonsense, you know? So, um, but I think that weirdly makes it, I don't know. I think it makes the moment even sweeter, to be honest. It's mm. like, honestly, my favorite type of romance is when it's super unromantic. You know, it's just, uh, right. <laughs> so I'm kind of glad that it that it happened that way. But, you know, I've met a lot. I mean, I spent a lot of time while writing this book at writing residencies in Vermont, in Virginia. And, you know, I've, I, a lot of a lot of the friends I made there, they talk about their star sign as if it's a medical condition, you know, and it's just so, but I'm. it's just their way of explaining the way they see the world and the way they interpret stuff. And, you know, it's, um, I just, I just think it's, it's, it's lovely. I would never do it. I do but. too. I do too. <laughs> yeah. I so do. So where can someone buy a, or pre-order the book? And you, we mentioned your publisher earlier, but I want to, I want to mention it again. Sure. It's um, unbound.com. Unbound.com. And the title is? This Party's Dead. This Party's Dead. So my, last question is what are you going to do now <laughs> what a good question um <laughs> i'm mainly going to sit in my house until this bat plague is over but no i am right. um, i'm currently uh i'm actually i've actually started writing short stories um i've moved to um fiction which is uh in a way much much more difficult uh than non-fiction mm. because non-fiction i just go look at this and uh you know i have to make it up but yeah i've been really enjoying um uh, writing short stories. So I'm currently writing short stories that are all based um, in and around uh, London. Um, oh wow! So yeah, that's that's been that's been fun. I'm just um very sort of I'm very quietly working on a collection of short stories nice. while I deal with this uh, vampire bat plague. <laughs> well, once the 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 pandemic comes to some conclusion, where we I'm hopefully. Um, but you're going to be touring around with this book. Yes, that is the hope. I mean, I was, you know, I've had, I've had several, um, invitations to different parts of the States to do readings and bookstores and stuff. And, you know, I, I, I'm usually in the States at least once or twice a year, usually doing literary res residencies or stuff. Obviously that has just all fallen by the wayside, but um, oh, believe I'm me. really hoping it comes back, you know, just big fingers crossed for a vaccine and, uh, hopefully we can all just resume normal life again but yes i will absolutely be um touring with the book perhaps virtually as yeah well, well know, let me friends. know because we can we can definitely once once i i'm gonna have to I, I think i don't know if i remember if i pre-ordered the book or if i if i'm gonna pre or if i plan to pre-order it but i'm just gonna order another one and um because i want to <laughs> read it i really want to journey with you but you know there there's gonna come a time that i'm gonna conclude my own tour and i 
I want you to come over to Wilmington, North Carolina, because I want to do it in my hometown and and kind of have the stage and and really collectively talk um, and, and give your spill. So where there's so many things that we can do and maybe even if uh, what did you call it? The bat the bat virus. I call it the vampire bat plague, which I admit isn't, isn't accurate, but <laughs> I'm not a doctor. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, I would love once uh, the book is official, um, maybe we can come on and, and do a couple of uh, webinars together and, and really start getting it out there. And because I, I just think your humor makes me even more comfortable with death. And I've been around death for a oh, long lovely. time and I love it. I absolutely love it. I, <laughs> oh, I have to lovely. say, Thank you. yeah, I mean, it's, I love the whole, you know, I know this is not a prey love around death <laughs> or corpses, but, but it is a journey. Um, did, did you, my, it's about connection, even with you and yeah. I. Yep, and, absolutely. And I think that that sometimes we forget the basic human need is just to connect with one another. And I believe this COVID-19 has really made that apparent is how much yes. we need each other. Um and what's really cool is is I I would love to go to some of these festivals one day, but I probably would have to call or, you know, ring you up and be like, will you come with me? Just in case I was hit by a corpse and I fainted or had a heart attack, I would have someone there to drag my dead weight off somewhere. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll put but, you in touch with some people, very reliable uh, uh, dragger offers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Hey, congratulations. I can't wait to get my hands on on the uh, the the really hard copy of this book. And it's coming out Thank February twenty twenty one. Um, it's, I, I, I'm really nice. You're, this is the crazy thing. I usually don't let guests come back onto my podcast unless they reach out to me. And when I got your email the other week, I was like, yes, because you know, <laughs> I, I've convinced people to come on to the podcast, but I don't want to like be a nudge, you know? So when people are like, Hey, can I come back on? I'm like, hell yes, you can. Oh, you're the be only a nudge. second That's person. Fine. Yeah. But you're the really? second person. And, and it's, it's really opened, um, just, to be with you in the midst of of what you were trying to create and get people to pre-order the book, to show the publisher that people were interested, to mm -hmm. now looking at the final drafts. What an accomplishment. And and Thank what you. a journey. What a journey. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm quite tired. <laughs> in fact, I've got this horrible feeling that if tempting fate is a thing, then I, I might have caused the pandemic because I landed and I said, I never want to travel ever again. And then uh, COVID happened. So it, I'm, I'm very sorry, everybody, if it was me. <laughs> how, is, how is your husband dealing with you back at home? <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, we don't really, he's still going to work every day and I always worked at home anyway. So, you know, it's, not, nice. it's actually not that different. So. That's awesome. You That's it. awesome. So, yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, it didn't, nothing, nothing much changed except uh, I'm not going away for weeks on end. I think it's mostly, mostly everyone I know is quite happy about it. I've always been deemed a flight risk. So, um, and I'm really not now. So it's quite, if well, anything, it's weird think, for me. <laughs> do you think Chris, uh, your father-in-law, do you think he'd be really, really shocked or 
impressed with how you really came full circle and it all started with his death? It's hard to know. I mean, I, I've thought often about how he would feel about it. I think it would be, um, he would feel about it the way he felt about most things, which is negatively at first. And then we talk him around. Um, I genuinely think his feeling would be embarrassment at, at the start. I think he'd be embarrassed at the idea that he, uh, that he died and wasn't found for a week because of his, basically the way he'd set up his life to be so sort of, um, I don't know, a little bit chaotic, a little bit isolated. It was actually very normal for him to not be answering an email for two weeks and stuff. So I think he'd be um, annoyed, but then I think he'd read it and sort of realize how much it was all to do with love and how much he affected me and my life and, you know, how much he did more for me than most people do for their, their real children, you know. And I think he would read about some of the gestures that obviously meant so much to me that I know he didn't even think about, you know, it didn't even, you know, even sort of like, this this wine that we drank, um, it was called Vouvray, and he got it, it was white wine. He didn't even like white wine. He got it because he knew I liked it. And after he died, um, Dion went down to the cellar to look for the back door key, and he came up, and he was holding an entire case of that wine. And I had no idea that he had ordered. He showed me the bottle. I got this wine. You really liked it. And I was like, oh, did I? I didn't remember. And he ordered a whole case of it just because I liked it. And I think he would read my book, and I think he would see that and realize, oh, I guess that really meant something. Yes, Chris. Yes, it did. Um, so I like to think that's how it would go. But also, um, he's he's dead. So it's, it, I can do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he would laugh yeah. at that joke. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thanks for taking time out and coming back oh, on and, and telling us about the journey. I can't wait. Um, we'll, we'll definitely have to look at some, some dates in February and March, um, where you, we can do some webinars and really maybe even a book club with you. Um, oh, I would love that. That would be fab. Um, but I, I just cannot tell you how much I've appreciated who you are in my life and what this book is going to do for so many other people. And Wow. I, journey changes us, you know, it, like, like Indiana Jones says, it's not the age, it's the mileage. Yeah, so, so uh, true. Yeah. It is so true. And you um, and I have look, done a lot of mileage. <laughs> oh, too, too many, too many miles. <laughs> but um, hey, you take care of yourself. Give your husband a huge hug and um, take care during this crazy pandemic. And we'll see you on the other side. Lovely. Thank you so much, Kimberly. It's a lovely to chat to you. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.